Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 32. Elaine. It was the Whitsun holiday after Sir Palamedes had left. All was quiet in Britain, and the knights of the round table were enjoying a fine feast. As we know, King Arthur's court was an open place, and just about anyone could walk in if they wanted to. Well, on this feast day, the unexpected visitor was a hermit. The smelly old man walked in unannounced and said nothing. Then he walked round the round table until he reached the Siege Perilous. There he stopped and looked up. So, why is no one sitting here then? Only the chosen knight can sit in that seat, replied King Arthur. Anyone else who tries will be frazzled to a crisp. We don't think the chosen one's in this room, although no one's actually tried to sit there. The old man nodded seriously. You and your knights are very wise, he said. The one who is chosen for this seat will be the one who is able to achieve the quest of the Holy Grail. I can tell you the Chosen One is not here. In fact, he's not even in this world. The Chosen One will be born this year. The hermit turned and was gone. The knights chattered excitedly about the news, speculating on who the father and mother of this great Chosen Knight would be. Many of the knights rode out to find adventure, including Lancelot, Gawain, Hector de Maris, Bors and Percival. Before we find out where the knights went and what they did, we need to learn a little bit about what happened to someone we met a long, long time ago, way back in the early years of King Arthur's reign. As we'll remember, the good knight Sir Balin the Savage made a dreadful error. He had struck King Pelham, one of the fisher kings who protected the Holy Grail. He had struck him with the spear of Longinus, the sacred weapon used to pierce the side of Jesus when he was on the cross. This had caused the king's castle to collapse and King Pelham to be sorely wounded, an injury that would not get any better until the knight who achieved the quest of the Holy Grail healed it. King Pelham escaped from the castle, but his wound was agonising and it never had healed. He managed to acquire another castle and later had a daughter, but he lived with very great pain. Back in Camelot, Sir Lancelot of the Lake rode off thoughtfully. Soon he came to a castle, where he was presented with a challenge. He was taken to a tomb, where he was told that a dragon would emerge and he had to slay it. Lancelot was not one to pass up a quest of any sort, and so was perfectly happy to give it a go. When he saw the tomb, though, he realised that a lot more was at stake. Written on it in large gold capital letters were prophetic words. The writing reminded Lancelot of the tomb of Colum and Lancior, which told of his fight with Tristram. It reminded him of Merlin. He was convinced Merlin was behind these words too. This is what the writing said. Here shall come a leopard of king's blood, and this leopard shall produce a lion in this country. The lion will be better than all other knights. Lancelot wondered what it meant. He was pretty sure, though, that the leopard must be him. He lifted the lid of the tomb and out sprung a fiendish dragon. Lancelot battled with the fiery monster for a good few hours, receiving a few wounds in return. When the dragon was slain, Lancelot looked up. Standing in front of him was an old man in fine clothes with a terrible wound. The man nodded and smiled at Lancelot. Then he spoke. Tell me your name, Sir Knight. Now, Lancelot was not in the habit of giving his name to strangers. He was pretty reluctant to give it to friends. This makes what he did next somewhat surprising. He answered. I am Lancelot of the Lake. It was pretty clear that this old man was something special. He smiled and nodded. Then he replied, My name is Pelham. I am a cousin of Joseph of Arimathea and a fisher king, guardian of the Holy Grail.
Lancelot gulped and nodded. He was in the presence of greatness. Pelham took Lancelot into his castle and sat him down in front of a very fine meal. Lancelot began to eat and then noticed Pelham's dreadful wound. His attention wandered, though, when a very beautiful young woman walked into the room carrying a gold vessel. She set it down in front of the king and he prayed. Lancelot frowned, wondering what was going on. King Pelham seemed to notice his bewilderment and he spoke softly and solemnly. Lancelot of the Lake, meet my daughter, Elaine. The vessel she carries is the Sangreal, known to you as the Holy Grail. Alas, it is soon to be lost and there is nothing I can do to prevent it. When it's lost, the fellowship of the round table will fall apart and it will take a very special young man to bring it back. Pelham seemed to be about to tell Lancelot more, but he stopped. He was about to tell Lancelot that the young man was to be his son. He was about to tell him he was to have a son with Elaine, but something stopped him. A lady called Dame Bryson was waving at him. Later, when Lancelot had retired to bed to nurse his injuries, Pelham spoke with Bryson. Sire, said the dame, I think we have a bit of a problem. Sir Lancelot of the Lake is in love with Queen Guinevere. No matter how beautiful the lovely Elaine is, and no matter how hard we try to persuade him, he will remain true to his queen. Yes, she's King Arthur's wife and Lancelot knows they can never be together properly, but he's in love with her and he lives for their affair. If we're going to ensure that the prophecy comes true, then we will have to use magic to play a trick. Pelham nodded and Bryson went about her work. A few hours later, a messenger arrived. Lancelot recognised the messenger, or at least he thought he did. The man presented the great knight with a ring and told him that Guinevere had sent it. He told Lancelot the Queen was at a castle just five miles away and she wanted him to come to her that night. Lancelot, of course, was delighted. As soon as he could sneak away, he made his way to the castle. He was met there by Dame Bryson, who told him she was in on the secret and had prepared some light wine to drink with the Queen. Lancelot thanked her and drank a glass of wine. It immediately went straight to his head and he began to feel a bit odd. The wine was actually a magic potion. Lancelot of the Lake went into the room and spent the night with a lady he thought was Queen Guinevere. When the potion wore off, Lancelot suddenly retrieved his senses. He realised he'd been tricked. He was quite angry with Elaine, but very angry indeed with Dame Bryson. Elaine begged him not to be angry and told him of the prophecy. Nine months later she would give birth to their son, just as had been predicted. It was their destiny to be the parents of the purest knight the world would ever know. Lancelot, still quite unhappy, rode back to Castle Corbin, Pelham's castle, and then left for Camelot. Nine months later, Elaine gave birth to a baby boy. He was christened Galahad. Lancelot, long gone by then, didn't tell anyone. Young Galahad was only a few months old when a relative of his turned up at Castle Corbin. Lancelot's cousin, Sir Bors, was out adventuring and stopped off at the strange castle for some rest. He was welcomed in by King Pelham and Elaine and made all the right cooing noises when the little boy was presented to him. Bors was not as surprised as maybe he should have been when he was told that Galahad was Lancelot's son. When he was told the boy was destined to be the most honourable of all knights, though, Bors wept with joy. Castle Corbin was always full of surprises for visitors, and it was no different for Sir Bors. A white dove flew into the hall, carrying a gold incense-burning vessel called a censer. Then a feast was brought in, followed by a young lady carrying a gold vessel. 
she made her way over to Sir Bors and told him he was in the presence of the Holy Grail and the knight who had achieved the quest once the Holy Grail was lost. Galahad, she said, would be better than his father and would be the knight who finally sat in the siege perilous, without being fried to a crisp, of course. Bors remarked to his host the castle should be renamed the Castle of Great Adventures. Then he accepted his host's hospitality for the night and went to bed. By the time he got up in the morning, he thought the castle should be renamed the Castle of Really Freaky Stuff. First he was attacked by a knight who he defeated and then ordered to go and yield to Lancelot. Next he was attacked by a lion whose head he detached from its shoulders. After the lion came a dragon, followed by a leopard. Bors watched in awe and disbelief as the two fought each other. The dragon defeated the leopard and then spewed out a hundred little dragons who turned on the big dragon and killed it. When the strange beasts had gone, an old man appeared and sang about how the Holy Grail had been brought to this land by Joseph of Arimathea. The old man left to be replaced by the white dove and the censer that Bors had seen the previous day. After the dove came a man holding a censer surrounded by four children and carrying the Spear of Longinus, also known as the Spear of Destiny. The man told Bors to go to Camelot and tell everyone about Lancelot, Elaine and Galahad. Then four women came in and knelt by a silver altar. Sir Bors looked up and saw a silver sword. The sword, apparently without human intervention, swung round and hit Bors in the eyes, blinding him. A voice came out of the darkness telling him to leave this place as he was not worthy to be there. And then he woke up. Baffled, awestruck and just a little terrified, Bors went down to breakfast. There Pelham and Elaine treated him as if nothing had happened, gave him breakfast and sent him on his way. Sir Bors rode to Camelot and told his cousin what he had learnt about he, Lancelot, Elaine and Galahad. He must have told somebody else too, as the Camelot rumour mill was soon buzzing with this quite excellent gossip. King Arthur was away with Sir Gawain and other knights in France, but Guinevere was soon well aware. She summoned Lancelot and told him in no uncertain terms he was a faithless scoundrel and she wanted nothing more to do with him. This was a bit rich, given that she was cheating on her poor husband with Lancelot, but a wronged Guinevere was impervious to moral logic and she ranted and raved at Lancelot. Eventually, he managed to convince her he'd been tricked and he'd thought the woman was the Queen herself. Guinevere calmed down and forgave him. Just about. King Arthur returned from France, oblivious as usual to the goings-on right under his nose. He'd had some great victories, and he and Gawain threw a massive party to celebrate. Over at Castle Corbin, Elaine heard about the party and decided she'd take a trip to Camelot and invite herself. A couple of days later, along with Dame Bryson, twenty knights and a few ladies and gentlemen, Elaine turned up at the court of King Arthur with her son. When Elaine walked into the party, heads turned. She was very good-looking indeed, and even those knights with wives or girlfriends couldn't keep their eyes off her. Gawain marvelled, Tristram gawped, and Bloberis nearly fell off his chair. Lancelot, though, looked the other way. Despite the fact he'd been tricked, he was ashamed at the way he'd treated her. Guinevere treated the young girl scornfully, paying her backhanded compliments. Lancelot was far less charitable later that night, when he was once again magically tricked into spending the night with Elaine. This time he was caught red-handed by Guinevere, and this time there was no persuading her that he'd been tricked. Lancelot, full of shame, fear and rage, collapsed into a faint. When he woke up, Guinevere had gone. 
Lancelot, despairing and wild, jumped out of a high window and landed in a thorny bush. Covered in prickles, the greatest knight in Camelot picked himself up, ran into the woods and went mad. The next morning, Guinevere went to see Elaine. This is your fault, complained the Queen. Lancelot's gone and you're to blame. Elaine was not having it. Now listen here, she responded angrily. You are to blame for Lancelot's peril. You have a perfectly good husband in this castle. You're supposed to love and honour him and not mess around with another man. If it wasn't for the fact that you can't be satisfied with your life and your fine husband, then Lancelot would be free to love another and to marry. As it is, you've messed with his head so badly he's unable to think about anything but you. At least he's managed to have the son he was destined to have. My Galahad will be able to do what Lancelot could not, mainly because of you. Guinevere was somewhat unused to being spoken to like this and was less than charitable. Get out! Don't come back here and don't even think about searching for Lancelot. I wouldn't be able to find him if I tried, spat Elaine. I never heard a man make such sounds as he did when he jumped out of that window. His heart's broken and his mind has gone the same way. And it's your fault. Elaine and her entourage left, but not before she told Sir Bors the whole story of Lancelot's madness and his leap from the window. Bors promised to search for his cousin and not rest until he was found. Filled with resentment, Bors returned to Camelot. He marched into the castle and went straight up to Guinevere. He found her weeping in a room in one of the tall towers. Rare as it had been for her to be spoken to so harshly, Guinevere realised she might have to get used to it. Sir Bors wagged his finger at her vigorously as he spoke. Stop your pitiful whinging, you, he said scornfully. I wish my cousin and all the rest of his family had never had the misfortune to meet you. Sir Lancelot's gone. We have lost the best knight that ever walked these corridors. He was our leader and our friend. Never will we find a knight who is as brave and gentle and noble and courteous as him. You have taken a great man away from his family. Guinevere carried on crying. Sir Bors collected his brother Lionel and Lancelot's brother Hector and went out in search of the great man. For three months they rode and searched and searched and rode. Nothing could they find out about the whereabouts of their splendid kinsmen. They sent a message back to Camelot telling King Arthur they couldn't find Lancelot. The message was received with great sadness. Sir Gawain of Orkney shed a tear for his friend and then solemnly stood up. Sir, said the most loyal of Arthur's knights, I will ride from here and seek out Sir Lancelot. I will take with me anyone who shares my wish that we find him and return him here safe. Sir Percival, Sir Aglaval, Sir Sagramore and Sir Uwain stood up and declared their support. Eighteen other knights also joined the search party. Long they searched up and down the country, but they could find no trace of Sir Lancelot of the Lake. Many, many months passed without news. Gawain, Uwain and Sagramore continued to ride the length and breadth of Britain, but still nothing could be learned about Sir Lancelot's fate. Sir Percival and his brother Sir Aglaval searched separately. After visiting their mother and getting into a bit of trouble, during which Aglaval decapitated a traitor knight, they came to Cardigan Castle in South Wales. Percival left Aglaval there to rest and rode off by himself. He rode quickly until noon and found himself at a bridge, Chained to a pillar on the bridge was a knight. The knight explained to Percival that he was Sir Persides, a knight of the round table. He had been bound to the post by men working for the lady of a nearby castle. His only crime had been his refusal to be the lady's knight. 
This was all in a day's work for Percival. He drew his mighty sword and swung at the chains. The chains were strong, but Percival was stronger. When the blade hit the metal, the chain split and Persides was free. Percival told him to go back to Camelot and tell everyone how he had been rescued. He particularly asked them to tell Sir Kay and Sir Mordred about how well he, Percival, was doing as they had mocked him when he first became a knight. Feeling pretty pleased with himself, Percival rode on. Soon he encountered a knight with a broken shield. Deciding that discretion was definitely not the better part of valour, Percival challenged the knight to a joust. He was on a bit of a roll, and he thought he'd have a little skirmish, win easily, and then ride on, full of the joys of victory. How wrong he was. The knight proved to be a far better fighter than Percival had anticipated. They fought without let-up all morning. Percival was young and strong, but the other knight was more experienced and skilful. His craft matched Percival's might and made them equal. Both of them took the fight far too far. By the time they agreed enough was enough, both were sorely injured. Both were, in fact, so badly hurt they were worried they wouldn't survive. When each did what he should have done in the first place and found out who the other knight was, they felt foolish and sorry as well as three-quarters dead. The knight Percival had been fighting was his fellow knight of the round table and fellow Lancelot hunter, Sir Hector de Maris. Percival knelt down and prayed. Whether it was prayers answered, fate or just good luck, we can't be sure, but salvation arrived in the form of a young lady carrying a golden vessel. Yes, of course, it was the Holy Grail. The two knights were given sweet things from the Grail and suddenly, magically, were restored to full health. This was great for Percival and Hector, but it brought them no closer to finding Lancelot. Two years had passed since the great knight ran off in a mad frenzy and nobody had heard a whisper about where he might be. Maybe he was dead. Maybe his madness had caused him to die a violent death at the hands of an enemy, or maybe he had taken his own life. Hope began to fade. Maybe Camelot had seen the last of Sir Lancelot of the Lake. If you're enjoying our trek through Arthurian legend, then I'd be very grateful for a good review on iTunes. Or you can contact me by sending me an email, mythandhistory at gmail.com, or friending me on Facebook at Paul Vincent Myth and History. If you have a passion for history and would like to learn more about other history podcasts, then please pop on over to www.historypodcasters.com where you'll find a complete directory of some really excellent podcasts. Also there, you can download and listen to The History Collage, on which you'll hear a group of history podcasters presenting short, fun snippets on a specific topic. The latest episode's topic is It Seemed Like a Good Idea at the Time. Do head on over, do download it and enjoy it. If you do, I'll be speaking to you soon. If not, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.